We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And good afternoon to you. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Lifeline here at uh, 22nd. Yeah, 22nd. My goodness, time flies. 22nd of August. We've got a full show for you tonight, so let's get right down to cases. First off, as you know here on KFAX for many, many years, in fact, I think moving into our 26th year now, we have annually engaged in a pastor's appreciation event where we invite pastors from all Northern California to come and join us and be a part of a day of celebration, really celebrating them. Um, and in a very positive sense to acknowledge the tremendous contributions that pastors make, the unsung heroes of the church. You think about, uh, what's the old adage, 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Yeah, and uh, I think about 50% of the 20% is right <laughs> directly on pastor's shoulder. And certainly a pastor of a smaller to mid-sized church just about anywhere in the country feels that. Not only the stress of the ministry, but oftentimes working in conditions that are less than ideal. From a, from a career standpoint, from a ministry standpoint, what better place to be, right? From a preparing for your financial future, caring for your fi- family's financial needs, and um, looking forward someday to uh, retirement in your old age, yeah, not so. Well, one gentleman caught the vision for this, a man who, in fact, had worked in uh, the, uh, the tent-making business before he went in full-time to the pastoral business, understands exactly how pastors can struggle. And Brian Cluth um, has really put together a wonderful campaign where you can bless your pastor. And Pastor Cluth, great to have you on the show. Hey, Craig, great to be on with you and your listeners. And we do want to encourage them on how everyone listening can be a real blessing to their pastor. And not just in October, but year-round. Absolutely. And toward that end, tell us a bit quickly about the vision for Bless Your Pastor and how folks who really begin to get an understanding of how much pastor sacrifices and yet how little he perhaps receives in return and oftentimes the kind of financial burden, the financial cloud that they have to minister under, how we can make a difference and really bless our pastor. Yeah, well, the reality is that most people don't realize how difficult it is financially for a pastor. And they may put something in the plate, and they may think, well, I'm sure the church takes care of the pastor. But the reality is, is 50% of pastors make less than $50,000 a year. Uh, 60%, no health care, no retirement, no employee benefits. Yet they're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, really kind of on call 24-7. Uh, I left my career field at 45 and became a pastor uh, and took a $70,000 pay cut. All right, that's a shocker to anybody's life. But here's what I discovered. When Christians know how to love their pastor well, God provides in amazing ways. And so I wrote a little flyer called 
50 ways to bless your pastor, over 50 ways to bless your pastor, and it's free for anybody. And we'd love people to just go to blessyourpastor.org website, get that, share it with the church, but it gives you practical ideas on what you can do to just help bless and care for your pastor very creatively. And of course, what's great too about this website as a resource for not all just the, the people in leadership of a church, boards of, of uh, directors or uh, uh, ministerial boards, and of course the people in the pews, is to learn how you can, in 50 ways or more, creatively bless your pastor. There's also a church board training video and a toolkit available for churches. And I think ultimately an opportunity for us to really be a blessing. Uh, again, these are the unsung heroes of the church. They are charged with the responsibility of being the, the, the shepherds of the flock. They make enormous sacrifices of family and time and certainly finance in order to serve our communities. And I think recognizing not just the blessing that they are, but the struggles that they oftentimes face and how we, uh, the people in the pews, can ease some of that burden can be such a tremendous blessing to them. So check it out as we head into the fall. You know, we get into annually October, November, uh, Pastors Appreciation Month, but why not make it an annual event? Great way to start. Check out blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. Uh, there's a number of resources you'll find, including this list of over 50 creative ways to bless your your pastor and church staff. Blessyourpastor.org. And our thanks to Pastor Brian Kluth for being with us and sharing those great insights. I want to turn a corner quickly to a special event coming to the Bay Area this Saturday. And, you know, as summer kind of starts to wind down, you're looking for kind of the last hurrah. The kids are all back in school. So while we still have time and a little bit of great weather, why not enjoy the sort of dog days of summer, as they call it? And in doing so, a great event taking place in Newark at the Newark Pavilion on Saturday, August the 24th. Here to tell us more about it is Pastor Anthony Sanchez, Senior Pastor at Victory Outreach of Fremont. Pastor Sanchez, this is going to be an exciting pretty much all-day event. I understand it'll go from 2 in the afternoon to 8 o'clock at night. Really fun for the whole family. Great way to wrap up the summer. Yes, uh, Greg, I appreciate you having us on. And uh, just a hello to all the listeners this evening. Um, yeah, you hit it on the... Um, you hit it on the nose there. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, we're going to be ending the summer, I guess you can say, getting back to school with our um, annual, first annual, actually, Taking the Bay uh, 2019. And tell us a bit about what's going to be taking place uh, throughout the day. Uh, there's a free concert, I understand, live drama, even a car show. Yes, yeah, so we're going to have... Uh, some cars, cars coming in. We got a, a few local car clubs from the Bay Area here, uh, Bay Bombers, uh, uh, the San Francisco's Finest, and a host of other car clubs that are going to be partnering with us. We have also some motorcycles coming in, uh, lowrider bikes as well, um, and it's really a family event. So we even have a kids zone uh, with some free giveaways there. We're going to be giving away some free backpacks, um, school backpacks. Uh, a few uh, bikes, and um, just a whole other host of giveaways as well for the entire family. Um, we have a concert with some really, really, really great artists um, that are going to be with us. we got Pastor Sal Perez all the way from Victory Outreach Tucson, Arizona. He um, does, a, does, a, does a Christian twist, I guess you can say, on a lot of the, uh, on a lot of the oldies music we grew up on, um, even those of us who grew up in the 80s. Uh, there's some great music that he'll be bringing forth on that. 
we have also the former uh, lead singer of the band Malo. The Bay Area knows Malo. Um, one of the featured songs they played was uh, Suavecito. I believe it was back in the 70s. Well, this is the lead singer. He's going to be with us and uh, turning a lot of those oldies into uh, into a message of positives. And then also we have a rapper coming in, Miles Minnick as well, bringing it all together somewhere around 6, 630 we have a we have a rapper called Miles Minnick, and he is just uh, just a wonderful wonderful rapper, and um, ending it with a 24/7 drama. <laughs> I know I gave a lot of info out, but uh, ending it with a drama called 24/7, and it's really um, a unique way um, of us bringing a relevant message to I think uh, uh, everyone that comes out. It's a family drama, and uh, really really hitting home on a lot of the. Um, a lot of the challenges that we have here in the Bay Area um, with with uh, parents, uh, with teens, and even a lot of the trouble that we've all gotten ourselves into, and, and at the end of it all, bringing the message of Jesus Christ um, available for everyone that comes. Jam-packed afternoon and early evening, and of course, as we head into the summer, it's going to be the final weekend as we move into and then Labor Day is the next weekend, and then it's kind of back to business as usual. So if you're looking for a great summer day and in in fun, Saturday, August the 24th at the Newark Pavilion, that's located at 6430 Thornton Avenue. The event kicks off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, will run through 8 p.m. at night, and uh, you can reserve your spot by going to eventbrite.com, use the keyword Taking the Bay. That's the name of the event, Taking the Bay, free concert, live drama, car show, family fun, all brought to you by our friends at Victory Outreach of Fremont. And again, uh, check it out, Saturday, August the 24th, 2 to 8 p.m., brought to you by Victory Outreach of Fremont. Details, go to eventbrite.com, use the keyword, Taking the Bay. Our thanks to Pastor Anthony Sanchez for the update and the invite. And uh, looking forward for a fun time for everybody who gets a chance to get on out there. Great time for the whole family. 5.15 on the clock. It's going to be time for an update on traffic. We'll do that right now. we got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You know, as you go through the course of life, um, you eventually reach the age where you start to experience loss. And the loss can come in many forms. Loss of maybe a, a first love, um, having to sell the first car that you ever drove, Right. Um, a little bit later on in life, it gets a little bit more serious turn. Maybe you finally attend your first funeral and you go through the loss of a loved one. In most of these life experiences at various levels of loss, it's, it's natural human emotion to, to feel frustration and sometimes anger and certainly pain and, and grief. We will typically go through a sense of in a time of mourning and then slowly but surely, time we begin to recover, and eventually we move on. That's what loss is all about. But how do you recover from a loss that is only a partial loss, not a complete loss? It's that sort of strange lingering in-between feeling where you want to grieve and mourn, and it's appropriate that you do so, and there is a sense of loss, but it's not a total loss. It's a different kind of a loss, and it's a loss that oftentimes is very nagging at you because in some ways you can never 
fully quite get closure. That very much describes the experiences of my next two guests. They've got a new book out that's been uh, written with the best-selling author Cynthia Rukti, who's been a guest on this show many times. The book is called Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was and Learning to Live Well with What Is. I'd like to welcome both Pat and Tammy McLeod to the conversation. And uh, Pat and Tammy, thank you for being with us today. You're Thank welcome. You. Thanks for having us. Wow. Having read the book, uh, the book title is very appropriate. It, it certainly is in so many ways, uh, in so many fashions. And I guess as we we kick off the conversation today and you reveal to listeners not just the story of your family, but most importantly, Zach's story, uh, this is really a sense of being hit hard because unlike, as I suggested in my opening remarks, where when there's a loss, we can kind of go through the traditional grieving and coping process and then come to some sense of, of peace and resolution, here that's not as easy as it sounds, is it? Right. You, you, I think you've introduced this better than anyone yet. <laughs> Did we lose you? No. I'm, I'm here, but I don't know that Tammy can hear you. Tammy, are you there? Yes, I can still hear. Um, yes, I didn't realize until month five into our son's injury that we were dealing with um, a situation where he wasn't going to fully recover. It was about that half-year mark that I realized it. And then it took me four and a half more years to find about uh, ambiguous loss. I had never heard that term before. I was asking what, um, asking friends, asking pastors, is there um, a type of loss that describes our type of loss? Because I was reading grief books and they weren't helping because there is no closure in ambiguous loss. And finally, when I was exposed to the writing of Pauline Boss. That's when I realized uh, someone finally gets me. Mm. Um, her work is making so much sense. Let's talk through for the benefit of listeners, and maybe, Pat, you can pick up the story here. Uh, your family is a football family. Uh, your grandfather, no. I understand, played ball. Uh, your dad played and coached. Uh, your brothers not only played, but one of your brothers played pro for the Green Bay Packers, and you yourself have both played and coached. So I guess it's probably not unusual that the the family football tradition continue and uh, be passed on to your son, Zach, who also had a tremendous love for the game. And still does, by the way. But, yeah, and he was excellent. He was better than I was and probably would have had a successful uh, college career. Very talented Zach um, had been playing high school football team. There was a uh, scrimmage one day, and he had gone through knuck nicks and scrapes uh, as as most kids do, and certainly kids involved in in sports at school. And uh, I understand in his case, more than a few. Um, Tammy, didn't he wind up breaking one arm multiple times? Yes, um, he broke actually a leg playing football, and then one of our other sons broke. 
his arm five times. Wow. So we were used to breaks. Your, your family's kind of used to, uh-oh, got to make a run to the emergency room, get them patched up, and, you know, plenty of ice cream when they get home, and eventually they uh, recover, they recuperate, and they get back on the gridiron. Um, yeah. And I would suspect, though, in this case, um, there was a scrimmage that happened. Uh, you guys weren't there for the scrimmage, but you got a phone call. And this phone call was was different. Tell us about what happened. Sure. So we were, uh, both Tammy and I are chaplains, and we work in campus ministry, and we're at the first large group meeting of the year, which was, you know, an auditorium filled with a couple hundred very happy, smiley, fun-loving students who were, um, you know, it's a very festive occasion. And uh, the meeting had just ended when one of the students walked up behind me with a very... uh, very sobering look on her face, handed me her phone and said, uh, it's your son, Nate. He's been trying to reach you. And so I picked up the phone. Nate said, Dad, why aren't you answering your phone? I, uh, coaches have been calling and parents of players have been calling, and now the hospital's calling. Zach's been hurt. And uh, then he proceeded to tell me that he was being in the process of being airlifted to the hospital. And that's when this moved from the you know broken arm phone call that I received before to something much more serious. And when I got outside, he, he said, Dad, they said they need to talk to you because they're going to have to perform emergency brain surgery. Wow. So he's airlifted from the football field to Boston Medical Center. You know that this is more than just uh, a normal break. And at that point, your heart absolutely has to drop to the floor. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, actually, I would say it was more like you know, I definitely was in a shock phase. You know, I I think, you know, I we flew through the the city to get to where we were when we walked in. The doctor, it was weird because we were looking at our son who looked like he was resting peacefully, even though he was intubated. Um, but he, uh, yeah, you know, he still had his his football cleats and his football pants on, and he was just laying there in bed. And, um, he said, listen, this this could result in anything from death to a full recovery or anything in between. We need you to sign right here. And sign we did, and then he left, and uh, the nurse said, you can, you can talk to him. He hears you. I don't know how she knows that, but apparently sometimes that's the case. When people are sedated, they still are taking a lot of stuff in. And so we, we prayed for him, and um, and then they... They wheeled him into the emergency into the operating room. This is a situation where, um, as you indicate, this has been a little bit of out of the ordinary. He's been through scrapes and things of that sort before. But what's odd about this is that it doesn't like from from the description I've read in your book hit hard. It didn't seem to be one significant body blow. Uh, in fact. Um, after a couple of hits on the football field, he still got up under his own power, but not for long. Right, right. Yes, Tammy, did you want to comment on that? Video. We watched the video many times, um, and the play on which he was injured was actually a play in which five players just tackled a person. And on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being a hard hit, it looked like a two. Mm. So we're still wondering, I personally wonder if he had a concussion 
previously, and that wasn't healed, and he had a second hit. Um, usually in those cases when the first concussion isn't healed, then you get the massive brain swelling, which is what he had. So I think he probably did have a concussion before he got hit this time, which is really dangerous. That, um, um, and we, of course, didn't know he had it. So, And that, uh, that brain swelling, uh, as you point out, uh, went to emergency brain surgery. He was in a medically induced coma for a protracted amount of time went through a long period of recuperation and recovery. Um, but the story continues, and we'll do so with more coming up around the break. Pat and Tammy McLeod with us sharing their story of their son, Zach, who I want to be clear is still with us today. They're talking about their journey of letting go of what was and learning to live well with what is. Newly released by Tyndale House, a timeout back with more after this. Traffic right now at 5.30. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Hit Hard, the book, detailing one family's journey of letting go of what was and learning to live well with what is. Pat and Tammy McLeod with us today, the story of their son, Zach, injured on the football field at the age of 16. Eventually, um, he goes through brain surgery. There is a bit of a recovery, and you pointed out in the previous segment Sammy, that for a long time you really held out hope that there would be a full recovery, perhaps slow, but to be sure you had hope that Zach would fully recover. That um, that never quite fully happened. Tell us more. Right. So right now, um, Zach has very little short-term memory and very little speech. He has right-side weakness and visual impairment on the right side. Um, Though he's physically uh, severely disabled, he is joyful and happy. So you have um, this happy, joyful person who lives only in the present. So we're so grateful that he was left still loving God and loving people. Yeah, it really seems as if, you know, what's the the scripture that we're reminded, train up a child in the way he should go. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the, the influence in your family, both um, serving, as we mentioned earlier, as chaplains, um, you had taken a very significant, in, in his life, um, a trip to Africa that really left a significant impression upon him. In fact, wasn't one of the first words that he was able to spell out or phrases when he was at the point that he could communicate again, not for you guys not to go back to Africa without him? Yeah, yes. exactly. That's, that's the, uh, it was a pretty stunning moment because he hadn't really said a word, but a speech therapist uh, found, you know, she, she put a, a, uh, a template of a typewriter. It wasn't even a, a, you know, a keyboard or anything, but just a picture of a keyboard and uh, he, you could tell that the first night he was in the rehab hospital that he was trying to say something to us. And so 
we got that piece of paper and um, he started pointing to the letters after, you know, he gave up trying to say something and said, no, no, tell us that. So we pulled it out and he said, uh, first he said D-O and we were like, do, do what? What do you want us to do? And, but then we kept going and spelled out don't and, then, and it just turned into almost a charade. Mm. Uh, but after about 10 minutes, he, he said, don't go back to Africa without me. And that was, those were his first words. Amazing. This story is really one of sharing your family's experiences with your readers, with our listeners, of, of how to deal with this kind of, uh, as you said before, ambiguous loss, where in this case, Zach is still here. I want to be very clear about that. Zach is still fully here. He's just, in many ways, not the same Zach that he was when he put on his helmet and suited up to go on to the, the football field that afternoon when he was 16 years old. So it is kind of a, a mixed process where you want to celebrate his presence and yet that sense of feeling the, the necessity, perhaps at least emotionally deep down, to want to grieve the portions of your son that is, in a sense, lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. if I could say um, something about that. Oh, go ahead, Tammy. Did you want to say something? Well, just there are two types of ambiguous loss. One, when you don't have the person, but you have them psychologically in your mind. So, like, kidnap kids, those missing you more. Uh, even parents that are absent due to divorce, adoption, immigration. And then there's the kind that we have where you have the person, but you don't have them in the same way. Um, emotionally or cognitively and there's rarely a linear process of letting go rarely acceptance and there's never closure the Lord though I would imagine has really been the rock of Gibraltar to to get not only Zach through the most difficult times but your family in sort of working through and, and recognizing that you can't have sort of the, the traditional closure, perhaps, um, Tammy. And yet, I would imagine through all of this, God has never failed and God has shown up in some amazing ways. Yeah, for me, I just experienced the nearness of God in suffering. And so that's what I hope happens through the book as people read it. It's not like we were some special family and we got special attention from God. It's just His nature. He is near to those who are suffering. And so it was just so encouraging to me as I was reading the Psalms, um, watching the psalmist cry out to God with their emotions, just being real and transparent with Him. And I felt the same freedom to do that with God, and as I did that, just met Him um, in the suffering. It it, it struck me... um Pat, early on, I made a comment about uh, how that Zach used to like football, and you said, oh, he still does. Some listening might find it amazing to know such football fans and, and participatory in the sport that your family has been, and then to go through an experience like that. Some at the surface might say, boy, I'd never watch another football game again. And yet, not only do you, but your son, Zach, continues to, to revel in football. Yeah, I mean, I... I uh it's hard for people to appreciate the state of mind that Zach has because he has no, you know, short-term memory. He kind of lives in the moment, and he's not. He doesn't. He doesn't dote over his deficits or his, 
his disability whatsoever. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He loves life, and he loves people, and he feels very, and he's kind of a, <laughs> he's the happiest person I know. He's, he's, it's, a, it's a good way to do and, and live life. As far as football is concerned for me, I, I think that it is becoming harder every year to ignore the mounting evidence about the, the long-term negative effects of football-related head injury. Indeed. Um, and I think I still think there are some gaps in the in in the evidence about uh, that, that this is directly as a result of uh, of football. But I I think that in time it probably will prove to be true. I think the reason for me it's hard to give up up on the game of football and probably Zach too is just partly because it was a big part of forming both of us, you know, uh, into the people that we are and a lot of the qualities that I think have given Zach the strong recovery that he's had are qualities that are were produced in his life partly through football. And more than anything, though, I would just say, Craig, that the, the, the thing that makes me a fan of the game of football is that it's just an incredible team sport. And in a country that's so radically individualistic, anything that breaks people out of the sort of radical individualism and allows them to feel and experience what it's like to be a part of a team and to be a part of a community and work together for a common good is really a healthy thing for a person and for society. And, you know, the one thing that that, that strikes me in, in this narrative, and I'm sure that it will, uh, listeners, when they pick up a copy of Hit Hard, and that is this tremendous sense that... Um, Zach has formulated a day-by-day approach and the kind of joy that he's able to pull out of life, even though we as outsiders looking in might say, my goodness, how much this young man has suffered, how much his family has suffered, how much they've been through, how can you find any joy in any of that? And yet sometimes to be able to focus on the moment and to feel God's presence in the moment um, can be not only tremendously liberating but freeing, even when you've gone through this kind of experience where truly you've been hit and hit hard. The book called Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was and Learning to Live Well with What Is. This is newly published by Tyndale House. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, available through the usual suspects, Amazon.com, also through Pat and Tammy McLeod's own website at Pat and and is spelled out Pat and Tammy McLeod.com. My thanks to both of you for coming and sharing Zach's story and your story, and um, we'll be praying for tremendous ministry to happen as you share the story with others through this new book, Hit Hard. 546. Update for you now on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, thank you, sir. Welcome back. We continue on hour number two here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. Um, you've probably heard the news. It was mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, today, two Philadelphia police officers shot during a gun battle. Um, two other officers are inside a home with prisoners. It, it's a fluid situation. It's another one of those tragedies added to the list of tragedies. And if you look at this shooting with the recent events that occurred in uh, Ohio and uh, and um, certainly in El Paso, um, it is again, I think, demonstrative of the fact that this country 
is at a real critical crossroads right now. Um, there is political turmoil, to be sure. Today, we talked about it at the start of the show, economic turmoil. All of it, I think, indicative, even as we see this on violence taking place yet again today in Philadelphia, indicative of spiritual turmoil going on within our nation. And as much as we can look to political solutions, hoping that Congress does something, pass some laws, have a meeting, conduct a forum, do all of this, at the end of the day, the real goal here, and I've said this before, should not be to make America great again. Because you can't make America great again until you make America godly again. It is an urgent time, I think, for people of faith, people that understand and have a ear to hear what is going on in the world around us, that we are on the cusp of either a potential complete unraveling of American society and the very fabric of our nation, or potentially on the cusp of a tremendous revival. Which way that goes is entirely dependent upon the people of God. Will we be obedient? Will we humble ourselves? turn from our wicked ways, and seek God's face, as Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us, or will we just continue to seek political answers and hope for the best? Well, for those that really see prayer and going before the throne of grace as a key step to bringing our nation back to Christ, then uh, my next guest on the program tonight I think will be of great interest to you. He's going to talk to us about a very special event taking place here in California, the first of many that is designed to help bring together church leaders and intercessors from across the state, across the nation, to do this very thing, to rally intercessors and the church together in a spirit of prayer, prayer for our nation, prayer for revival. Reverend Cyril Rayan joins us today in studio, and... Um, this is an important mission that you're involved with. Thank you so much for being with us. Sure, Greg. It's a privilege to be here. And even as you pointed out, even with the gun violence happening today, we see where the nation is and how desperate we are. I know not everybody realizes the desperate situation, but the moral decay that has happened over the last several decades and um, even the prayerlessness uh, in the church and um, 66 million plus abortions and uh, the marriage being redefined. And we are, we are really showing our fist at God. Uh, I hope I said that correctly, but we are away from biblical values as far as it can be. And, but the good news is every revival that has happened in the past has gone through that situation where there was moral decay. And even if you look at the Jeremiah Lanfear revival in 1857, there was moral decay. You look at the first great awakening, there was moral decay. Second great awakening, there was moral decay. Revival in Wales, there was moral decay. So it's all about how we respond as the people of God. Instead of pointing fingers at the enemy, we need to say it's our responsibility. You mentioned Second Chronicles 7.14, it is our responsibility, rather than pointing fingers at the enemy, we need to gather, humble ourselves, turn away from our wicked ways, seek God's face, pray, and come together. That's when he's going to hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. So it is 
it is a very strategic time for the nation and it's like even the people in Nineveh responded when the judgment was given saying within 40 days you're going to be destroyed i think we are right there you know even billy graham mentioned if god does not judge america then he was not fair to sodom and mm, gomorrah he would have to apologize and, yes <laughs> and i'm paraphrasing yes. it but at, we are right there at the cusp and people of god must realize that if we come together and pray and that's what the word of god says he will hear from heaven forgive our sin and heal our land and that's what we need at this time we need revival in america to change the course of the nation and that's what can bring the nation back to god and really at the end of the day this is not just a single event and i think about the many years that we've gathered on the first thursday of the month of may mm-hmm. um as a nation to pray for our nation pray for our nation's leadership and i think what's been missing the element that's been missing is a great gathering of believers all across the country we go before god we pray when we're done we say wow didn't we have a great time together in fellowship see you next year failing to recognize that we're really in warfare here that i think time is perilously short how long will god's patience tarry before he has no choice but to bring down judgment. And I know for some people they say, Craig, those are harsh words. I mean, Mm. God has uniquely blessed our nation above so many nations. Can you dare suggest that God is going to judge this nation? Well, some would argue that he's already perhaps removed his hand of blessing or is in the process of doing that. Could God, uh, God judge this nation? I don't know that within his own sense of righteousness that he has any choice but to do so, which is what Dr. Graham, I think, suggested. And so then it becomes not a question of if God judges, but when God judges. And the the defining line between the two is really ultimately up to us, isn't it, in terms of really understanding that we need to have a serious encounter with God and that for there be for there to be revival, there has to be something to be revived, right? If you talk to a paramedic and say, well, uh, they can't be a giver of life, but they can help to revive that flickering flame, that ember of life, mm-hmm. if somebody has gone unconscious, has perhaps had a heart attack, their heart has stopped beating, they can intervene to bring back life, to revive the life that was there. And I think at the end of the day, then, that suggests that it has to start in the church, because the kind of life that needs to be revived is in the church. And once the church is revived, then that can spread like wildfire throughout the land. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think the church is in a slumber mode right now. Uh, Prayerlessness is all over the place. Um, and I'm not blaming other churches. I'm blaming myself as well. I'm part of the body of Christ. And we have sinned against God by by really forgetting prayer. And trust me, any church that thinks that they've not yeah. made a mistake, God will say, well, and your righteousness is as a filthy rag. So we're all, <laughs> I think, in that boat. Go ahead. Yes. I, I think the... The response is so much important. That is in my heart. You know, how do we respond as the people of God? And when we see the churches not winning souls anymore, 
you know the status quo and we see the same people sitting in the same pews and we have forgotten that we need to be people who take the great commission to heart uh, and not only pray but also on the other hand you know share the gospel and the reason why we are gathering on august 31st at the azusa street revival is to redig the wells of revival and that is the solution for our nation and it's like isaac redug the wells that abraham had dug in genesis 26 and 18 and it was a time of famine and he could have god said don't go to egypt you know he stayed right there and yes it might be a time which seems dark in america spiritually but we need to continue to go back to places where great revivals happen and redig those wells of revival because in numbers 21 god talks about the people who really dug these wells are nobles you know god calls people like william seymour and jonathan edwards and jeremiah lanfear Uh, and others as nobles who who really brought about the revival of course they didn't bring the revival they were catalysts for revival god's presence came because they were desperate enough they saw the need in the nation so similarly i'm challenging everyone in the churches across america the intercessors to come together in a bicoastal conference august 31st at Azusa Street and also in Fairton New Jersey in one of the sites of the first great awakening where George Whitfield preached to thousands as a 25 year old and going back to the places of revival it's really symbolic saying we are going to take literally a shovel to redig the wells of revival and the word of god says in Genesis 26 that the Philistines have blocked these wells and that is actually the sin of the nation the sin of idolatry the sin of sexual immorality uh, the sin of the lgbtq agenda has blocked these revival wells and it's our responsibility as people of god to see that the sin has defiled the land it has blocked these wells and we need to be the ones redigging these wells and there is a prophecy from william seymour in 1912 saying in 100 years there is going to be a revival in america greater than azusa and with azusa street impacting 700 million people around the world and growing i think there is no better site to go redig the wells of revival and that's why we are going and we are challenging intercessors leaders whoever is, has a heart and a burden for america i think it's very easy to see that we need prayer i don't have to convince much to anyone that even maybe secular people might see it but definitely church people must see the situation the nation is in and how desperate we need to become because if you study revivals you know people like john knox in scotland said give me scotland or else i die and there is a sense of desperation that we see in every revival that we can study there were some people who understood the pulse of the nation who understood the situation of the nation who understood the heart of god that the god the lord wants to move 
and they were at the right time contending for revival. And I think that's an important mm-hmm. point that you make because to the greatest degree for those both believers and non-believers who recognize the direction our nation is heading in and, and just look at the headline news, we're reminded of it daily mm-hmm. and recognize that our nation needs prayer. But I think where the disconnect comes from is we, we give mental assent to that, but there's no action to that. In each and every one of those examples that you pointed to, from, from um, Wakefield to Azusa, the catalyst was always the church. Yes. The church responding to the situation, and then as the church stepped out in faith, God honored it. And it's, I think, the same thing here, too. We oftentimes like to think that somehow in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of the, 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 this time of discontent in America, that we're waiting on God to do something. And I think God is looking down from the heavens and saying, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I'm here. I provided you my son, my Holy Spirit, my word. You have the tools that you need. You're not waiting on me. I I'm waiting on you. Mm-hmm. Let me remind you that this special event, Redigging the Wells of Revival, the time of fasting and prayer, seeking God to bring transforming revival to our nation, will be taking place on Saturday, August the 31st in Los Angeles at the site of the original Azusa Street Revival. It begins at 9 a.m., goes all day, and it is a time of consecrated prayer and fasting and a time for the church to come together and really get serious before the throne of grace. There'll be a number of outstanding keynote speakers over the course of the day, including names you'll recognize, including Pat Chen, who, of course, had a radio program here in the Bay Area on KFAX for many years. She, the founder and president of First Love Ministries International, along with Vanessa Russell, founder of Love Never Fails, and best-selling author Tommy Tenney, author of the God Chasers book series. Redigging the Wells of Revival, Saturday, August 31st. For details and to register, go online right now to wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as our visit today with Pastor Cyril Rayan continues from the Potter's Ministries. 